What's going on, Football MD fam? We are back for episode 16 of the Football MD podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We have a very exciting episode for you guys today, in large part because we have a special guest today. We are actually joined by my typical co-host, Dan Ronin. He's still here, of course. I cannot get rid of this guy. But his brother, his twin brother, I should say, Christopher Ronan, the writer of our college football corner section on our website. He is joining us here today. He's been crushing it. We're so happy to have him. Thanks for stopping down, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy to have you here. And on this week's episode of the Football MD Podcast, we are going to break down every game from week five of the NFL. But before we get into that, guys, we are excited to announce that today our Football MD Podcast t-shirts Breast can- special edition breast cancer awareness tees are finally in. We are starting to distribute tomorrow. If you haven't already reserved, contact us with your name, size, and we'll be getting those out to you. Remember, they're $20 a piece, and we will be donate- donating proceeds to Breast Cancer Research Foundation. So it's really a great cause, and you can represent not only a great cause, but the Football MD team as well. And you guys can get in touch with us to place those orders through our social media accounts at FootballMDPod, or you can go straight to the Contact Us page on our website, FootballMDPodcast.com, and send an email with your order directly to us. And now we'll go right into our Week 5 review, starting with the Thursday night game, Colts at Patriots, score of 24-38. to Realistically, in this one, the Colts got dominated right out of the bat. They scored the majority of their points in the fourth quarter. And honestly, to me, they're throwing way too much to try to stay in games. I get it. But, like, you got to get that ground game established. None of the running backs have been good. Hopefully, Marlon Mack can eventually make a difference. But it's really just in general, the running game has not been good. And on the Patriots side of the ball, Sony Michelle and James White. I want to talk about them because every year the Patriots have all these different backs. They have plenty of them. I really do think that they could sustain two top level running backs if it's just the two of them so as long as nobody else is added back into the mix which right now it doesn't seem like it's going to be if it stays between the two of them I think you can play both of them week in week out um, and they'll give both give you fa- fair moderate production I like Sony Michelle a little bit more obviously I think if he gets involved with a passing game there won't be a reason to have James White but it doesn't look like they're going to go to one running back. We've talked about that before. I don't think they're going to. And besides that, with the Patri- Patriots, just the pass catchers continue to struggle. I know Tom Brady really does distribute the ball well, but none of them are really getting open or uh, producing on a consistent basis. And hopping back over to the Colts side of the ball, I know as an NFL team, their run game has definitely been disappointing. But Naeem Hines has definitely been growing on me. From a fantasy perspective, I know he's not your typical running back one. He's not a between-the-tackles guy at all. But the Colts have been struggling with injuries on the defensive side of the ball. They can't protect Andrew Luck, so he has to get the ball out quick. So he's been dumping it off to Naeem Hines. He already has 29 receptions this season. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends the season with somewhere between 65 or 70 receptions. And I know that he's still been super inefficient. He's currently averaging 3 yards per carry and 5.7 yards per catch. That's not really going to cut it. But as long as he's staying that involved, I think he's going to continue to carve out a nice role, especially with Jack Doyle out, especially if T.Y. Hilton's forced to miss extended periods of time. I think Naeem Hines could be a decent option in the run game there. I definitely definitely agree with that one. Naeem Hines as well. I know... You had me on the Jordan Wilkins hype train before the Ugh. season. And I, I get it. When I watch, just so you know, when I watch the film, I get it. Uh, Naheem Hines really can't go between the tackles the way Jordan Wilkins could have kind of done it all. But Naheem Hines seems to be the guy that they like. Like you said, um, they feel comfortable getting him the ball out of the backfield. And he is the guy with the most upside in that backfield. I just would prefer not to have to choose at all between this backfield personally yeah I think Hines just fits what the Colts are not even what they want to do what they're kind of forced to do at the moment what's happening right now yeah but another pass catching option on the Colts Eric Ebron this past week he had 15 targets nine receptions 105 yards two touchdowns he clearly got a boost without Jack Doyle and without T.Y. Hilton in the lineup but he now has five touchdowns on the season and four games with double digit fantasy points and I'll admit he is more of a situational player when Jack Doyle is on the field 
But in my opinion, Ebron is a must start as long as Doyle is out. And you guys know I was high on him in the preseason. I think with how volatile the tight end landscape currently is, even with Doyle back in the lineup, I think you could do a lot worse at the tight end position than Eric Ebron. For this game, you guys really touched on a lot, but I think that the only thing that you guys didn't really mention, Tom Brady did throw for his career uh, 500th touchdown. A good milestone achievement for him there. Uh, James White, also an interesting note, led the team in receiving as the running back with 10 receptions, 77, and a touchdown. Uh, It's been a pretty good season for him as well. Yeah, I think both options from the Patriots' backfield are going to be startable fantasy assets moving forward. And one final note from this game, finally we saw the return of Julian Edelman, who looked pretty solid even though his stat line wasn't anything too impressive, but he did run 38 of 44 pass routes, got 9 targets. I think if he keeps up with that type of involvement, you could see frequent wide receiver 2 numbers from him going forward. But moving on to our next game of the week, we have the Miami Dolphins losing to the Cincinnati Bengals 27-17. to And my only takeaway from the Dolphins side of the ball is Kenyon Drake. He had 11 targets, 7 receptions, 69 yards, and 1 touchdown. He had a great day, but still just 6 carries. Why is he not being involved more in the run game? He was super efficient with those runs, averaging 7.7 yards per carry. But Frank Gore still ran the ball 12 times. I do not understand why this is happening. And until I see Kenyon Drake utilized like a true running back one the way that I think he should be with the way that he's flashed his talent at times throughout this season, I don't know when I'll feel confident about starting him in my fantasy rosters going forward. And on the other side of the ball for the Bengals, they were off to a slow start, down 17 nothing going into half, I'm pretty sure. Rally back to score 27 unanswered points to win the game. Sitting at 4-1, and one, this is a much better Bengals team than we expected. And Andy Dalton didn't have... A great day, not as good as he's been in the past couple weeks, but still pretty good. 20 of 30, 248 yards, a touchdown, one interception. But the big point of highlight of this game was the return of Joe Mixon. Everybody was very worried about how he would be reacclimated to the offense. With Giovanni Bernard not being there, they did not really have the choice to ease him back into it. And quite frankly, it didn't look like they wanted to. He had 22 carries. He was the only player to get a rushing carry besides Andy Dalton on the team. He had 93 yards on the ground with 22 yards receiving, giving him 100 all-purpose yards. He really just looked as good as as he can be. So don't be afraid. He's definitely going to be an RB1 for the remainder of the season. Fire him up each and every week. And he has a great matchup coming up this week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So couldn't be more excited to have Joe Mixon back in my lineup. And for the Bengals receiving game, Tyler Boyd definitely came back down to earth a little bit. Four receptions, 44 yards. He was lined up against Minka Fitzpatrick for a lot of the game, and he still saw seven targets. So I'm really not worried about him going forward. That opportunity should continue to keep him in high-end flex consideration. This offense has looked solid, and I'm expecting that to continue for the majority of the season. Moving on to our third game of the week, we have the New York Giants falling to the Carolina Panthers, 33-31. Team drama aside, the Giants' offense did look good against the Carolina Panthers. Saquon Barkley continues to be ridiculous. He's the first player ever to have 20 or more fantasy points in each of the first five games of his career. Odell Beckham Jr., he finally got his touchdown on the back of eight receptions for 131 yards. The guy even threw a 57-yard touchdown pass. We know how incredible he is, but it was nice to see it come to fruition for really the first time this season. And Sterling Shepard, he didn't have a huge day, but four catches for 75 yards on seven targets definitely isn't bad. So it's nice to see the Giants offense clicking a little bit. Barkley looks like he could be the best running back in the NFL. And the one bright spot is I think if Graham Gano takes a 63-yard attempt, he misses nine out of ten times. It's just unfortunate that the one time he would have hit it, it happened to be in this game. It happened to be the last kick of the game. Hats off to Graham Gano, but heartbreaking loss for the New York Giants who thought that they had that win in, in their grasp. On the other side of the ball for the Panthers, besides Graham Gano hitting four for four field goals with a 63-yarder, giving you a nice fantasy output. By the way, I think he's made his last 35 field goals at home or some ridiculous number. So, like, what a ridiculous way to keep that streak going with yeah, absolutely insane field goal. <laughs> but, yeah, so on the offensive side of the ball, Cam Newton was – Okay, 21 of 35 with two touchdowns, but the two interceptions really hurt. He did obviously add 30 rushing yards on the ground on eight carries, which is nice to boost his floor. Chris McCaffrey continues to be very very good, turning in 17 carries and five receptions, so just heavily involved, over 20 touches, 
about 80 yards all-purpose and a touchdown. But besides that, the one thing that's missing from that offense is that deep passing attack. They're really not pushing the ball down the field. They're missing Greg Olson and that spark. They need somebody who can get downfield and really open up that passing attack because right now that's struggling. Speaking of Greg Olson, though, it is possible that he's back as soon as this week. And he is currently owned in just 60% of ESPN Fantasy Leagues. So there is a slight chance that he is available on the waiver wire in your league. It's definitely worth looking just because of the current landscape of the tight end position. He isn't the type of player that I would recommend trading for or anything like that. I think he will perform well, but there's still that high risk of re-aggravating the injury. But again, tight end is such a volatile position. If Greg Olson's back, you're going to want him on your roster. Now, moving on to our next game of the week, we have the Green Bay Packers falling to the Detroit Lions 31-23. to On the Packers side of the ball, Devontae Adams proved that his calf injury was nothing to worry about. Nine receptions, 140 yards, one touchdown. The guy looked great. Jimmy Graham, no touchdown in this game, but he did see 11 targets that he brought down for six receptions and 76 yards. He only has one touchdown on the season, so you're definitely hoping that those targets keep up to keep him in that starter territory, but it looks like my call on him being a touchdown-dependent option in the preseason was maybe not the most accurate. Yeah, he hasn't really been very reliant on that touchdown because, like you say, he's only been he only has one on the season, and he's been pretty good at least offering double digit points. He's a starter every week. Yeah, he's and especially like we talk about all the time, the tight end position very weak, very volatile. It, to me, the what was nice in the passing game, I know it wasn't very sexy. Obviously, uh, St. Brown three receptions, eighty nine yards, and. Valdez Scantling, MVS, seven receptions for 68 yards and a touchdown. It was just nice to see these guys fill in while Cobb and Allison weren't available and really produce. And of course, obviously, they have the advantage of playing with the baddest man in football, Aaron Rodgers. But it just shows that they're deep at that position. So keep an eye on those guys. You know, injuries are going to get worse and worse for every team as the season goes on. And you're going to look to be replacing injuries on your fantasy rosters. And when these guys are plugged into those positions, you can be comfortable using them as streaming options. And they're not guys that you're going to rely on week in and week out, especially being that we expect Cobb and Allison to be back sometime soon. But still, guys, to keep an eye on if your team is weak at the wide receiver position or you need a streaming option because of buys or what it, what it may, whatever it may be, those seem like pretty good options. And then for the Packers' run game, Aaron Jones had seven carries for 40 yards. He had another two receptions for 19 yards. And I really expected this to be a much bigger game for him, but falling behind early in the game caused him to not have a single carry in the second half while Jamal Williams took over significant snaps playing in pass protection. And I honestly want to keep Aaron Jones on my bench until I see it going forward. They do play the 49ers in Week 6, however, who have a decimated offense and defense. So the Packers should have the opportunity to run the ball a lot. But in my opinion, if you can avoid starting Aaron Jones, I would wait it out. I'll be late to the party on this one. I'll let him have his breakout before I trust him. But a running back that I am not benching going forward, or actually I will be in week six because he is going to be on a bye. He will not be playing football. But that is rookie running back Carrion Johnson. He had 12 carries for 70 yards this past week. He added two catches for 15 yards through the air. This is his fourth straight game with 10 or more PPR fantasy points. He did leave the game with an ankle injury, but he said that he could have returned to the game and now he gets to rest over his bye, so I'm not worried about that going forward. The only issue that I have with Carrion Johnson's involvement is that LeGarrette Blunt is clearly not going anywhere for the time being. He's still getting those short yardage carries, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah, I have to agree with LeGarrette Blunt being extremely frustrating. He had equal as many carries as Carrion Johnson. They both had 12 carries, and he was the one who ended up with the two touchdowns. I'm so tired of watching Blunt on the field. Drives me insane. Yeah, and you know, and I just don't see why. Carrion Johnson really could just be their three down workhorse back. He's very talented. I just. I, it's maddening for me because I, you know I've been high on Carrion Johnson coming into the season, and he's been good in his opportunity. 12 carries, 70 yards, as opposed to LeGarrette Blunt's 12 carries for 22 yards. Way more production than you're getting from LeGarrette Blunt. And as far as the receiving options on the team, this game kind of proved more of what I was thinking going into the season. I know so far like it's been looking like you can really just depend on this wide receiver core. 
But this was what I was concerned about. The weeks where, you know, Golden Tate owners and, and Marvin Jones owners, they're disappointed because look at Kenny Galladay's day, four receptions, 98 yards, and a touchdown. Golden Tate had five, those five receptions for 42 yards, no touchdown. And Jones had one reception for eight yards and the touchdown. The whole wide receiver core was very underwhelming, and you don't know which one is going to be the one who ends up with the production. I think you start any one that you have. You start any piece that you can get. But it's not going to be that easy week in and week out, and that's going to be frustrating. They're just not a team that has one set guy. No, There's no guy that demands all the targets over the other. If anything, it's Tate, in my opinion, but they all are going to be equally involved. I'm just saying it's kind of what Stafford does. He doesn't just pick one guy and lock in on that target. He's not that type of quarterback. He's going to distribute the ball around, and in this game, we kind of see what it can do. And right now, you're right. It's not that big of a deal. Come playoff time, if you're a Golden Tate owner and he puts up one of these five catches for 40-yard games in the playoffs, that's going to kill you when it's losing out type of situation, you know? Yeah, Dan, honestly, I took, I got to disagree with you on this one a little bit. Um, Golden Tate, I have him as a wide receiver one for sure. He's uh, he's a must-start for me every week. Uh, he's always getting the receptions. We just talked about it, almost uh, 90 receptions the past five seasons, on pace for that again this year. He's a wide receiver one, and Matthew, Matthew Stafford's a gunslinger, so you know you got to get him, uh, you got to get him in your lineup. Definitely agree there. Love Golden Tate going forward, but we still have a lot of games to get to here, so we're going to start picking up the pace just slightly. Moving on to our next game, we have the Baltimore Ravens falling to the Cleveland Browns 12-9, and the Ravens' backfield just continues to be annoying. Javarius Allen has now played 22 more snaps than Alex Collins and has 13 more targets than Alex Collins and continues to get utilized on the goal line. I honestly don't want to trust either of these options right now. Looking forward, Alex Collins does have a very favorable playoff schedule. So if he is able to hold on to that job even after Kenneth Dixon comes back, he could be on a lot of championship teams this year, which sounds surprising with the way that he's been performing. But as of right now, I really don't want to trust any option out of the Ravens' backfield. And as for their passing game, John Brown came back down to earth, four receptions for 58 yards, but he still got 14 targets. In my opinion, the target numbers that he's been seeing this year, we know the talent has always been there, and now he's getting that opportunity. He's locked in for a wide receiver three production for the rest of the season. Just yeah, you touch on Alex Collins. Just a quick shout-out. Remember, guys, to go follow us on Instagram at footballmdpod. We just recently had a post about Alex Collins and how he's trending in the wrong direction this season. And going on to the other side of the ball, the Cleveland Browns get their second win of the season, and they're really starting to trend in the right direction, in my opinion. Baker Mayfield looked great, 342 yards, one touchdown, one interception. And Carlos Hyde, a little bit less productive with his rushing this week, but still getting the boatload of carries, 17 carries. So although it was only for 63 yards, definitely still keep Carlos Hyde in your lineup. He's getting the opportunity that you're looking for in a top-tier running back. And on the and in the receiving core, Jarvis Landry and David Njoku continue to be the guys that you want. Landry with five receptions on six, for 69 yards, and Njoku six receptions for 69 yards. Just both of them highly involved. We talked about Baker Mayfield liking the tight end position. Njoku being an elite physical specimen in the NFL, so just a lot of upside there. Keep an eye on those two guys, but. And just to hop in on David Njoku real quick before we move on, through weeks one to three with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback, Njoku is averaging 5.3 targets per game. Ever since Baker Mayfield took over over the last two weeks, Njoku is averaging nine targets per game, including 11 targets this past week. So even though his stat line may not blow you away, that type of involvement from a tight end locks him in for mid-tier tight end one production going forward. You don't see many tight ends getting 11 targets in a game. Mike, I actually know that you can speak to this. I'm pretty sure uh, you guys had your post about David Njoku about being available on the waiver wire this week, so he's a potential ad for you guys. Um, and in this in this game, really low-scoring game, went into overtime. Um, very few points all day from both sides of the ball. So you can definitely expect better things from Njoku coming up in the next uh, matchup. And keep in mind, guys, the Browns, they do play the Chargers this week, which may be a tough defensive matchup. But after that, they play the Buccaneers, the Steelers, the Chiefs, and the Falcons. So an awesome slate of matchups coming up for Don't the Browns. Don't talk about my Falcons like that. 
I'm targeting everybody on that defense. <laughs> real quick, real quick, last thing I want to say about Carlos Hyde. Uh, Hyde, actually, this was the first game that he's had uh, all season and dating back to last season without a touchdown. He had six consecutive games with a touchdown, Damn. and he'll look forward to starting a new streak uh, next week. Awesome stat there. Moving on to one of the less impressive games of the week. The Buffalo Bills beat the Tennessee Titans 13-12. to And on the Titans side of the ball, Marcus Mariota coming off of a great game. We saw the breakout of Corey Davis, and he hits us with this, completing 14 of 26 pass attempts for 129 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. What is going on? Corey Davis, he still, in my opinion, looked great. He saw a 24% target share in what was a tough matchup against Tredavious White. He had 40 targets in the four games prior to that game. So I think Corey Davis, I'm not worried about him going forward. I know I was high on him on last week's episode. I'm keeping my optimism in that situation. But one situation that I am not keeping optimism in at all is the Titans' run game. Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry continue to be extremely frustrating. Deion Lewis is hanging in that flex start area. His finishes over the last five weeks, 10, 48, 43, 18, 42. Nothing impressive, but he has had his serviceable matchups. And Derrick Henry, I mean, 11 carries, 56 yards. So he was pretty efficient, but I thought he would have been utilized way more in this game with the way the game script was playing out, and he just wasn't. So I really don't know what you can do with Derrick Henry going forward. You're not going to get trade value. You don't want to drop him. You're kind of just stuck with him at this point. Yeah, overall, I think that the Titans, honestly, it's a, it's a tough roster and it's a tough team to play in fantasy in most in most matchups coming forward. They haven't gotten enough running back production. The wide receivers, you know, they're good, but they're not, they're not really too great. So I, I don't know if I could trust any of these guys moving forward too much. Yeah, and the offense hasn't really been scoring. It has been a defensive-led team this year, which is great for the Titans. You know, defense wins championships. It wins in playoff football. And honestly, I think they should be looking forward to that. They're playing well enough. And I'm not lowering my hopes on them by any means just because of the loss to the Bills. The thing with the Bills is, just against, like, I just want to say this. I know we're going to get to the Bills, but they're going to have games like this. Just like we talk about with Sam Darnold, when you have a rookie quarterback who has a high potential, they're going to give you games where they have good games, they have bad games. Josh Allen led the Bills to stay in this game, stay in this game long enough to squeak out a win against a quality opponent, just like they did against the Vikings. So I don't want to say that like the Tennessee Titans should be disappointed by any means. The Bills are going to have good up and down weeks, and this was an up week for them, and they squeaked out a win against a solid team. But the Tennessee Titans, really, their defense have been, has been really impressive to me. And although the offense isn't really consistent week in and week out, they are staying in games and, for the most part, getting the job done week in and week out. Not really sexy or great for fantasy, but they are they are kind of getting the job done when, when they need to. As, as, as for a football team, they've been good. I mean, you said it was an up week for the Buffalo Bills, but Josh Allen had 82 passing yards. I don't know if a team has ever won a game where their quarterback had just 82 passing yards. I really don't know how that happens. I don't understand this. It seemed like to this point in the season, the Titans were beating good teams and the teams that they played were just playing poorly. And last week had me buy in that the Titans were actually just a good team. And this week has me back to questioning that. I'm really not sure at this point. But moving on to the Bills side of the ball, LaShawn McCoy, Definitely a pretty promising performance. 24 rushes, 85 yards. He had he added another two receptions for 23 yards. And I know a lot of people have been down on him, but I would honestly be holding tight at this point. He's getting the volume. He's been getting passing down work in previous weeks, despite dealing with various injuries. And he seems to be healthy right now, and the Bills want to feature him. He's the best option on that offense. So moving forward, he should at least be a flex option. So definitely, if you've been holding out hope for LaShawn McCoy, a uh, promising performance here. But to move on to our next game, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars falling to the Kansas City Chiefs 30-14. to On the Jaguars' side of the ball, Blake Bortles continues to be frustrating for NFL purposes, throwing four interceptions, but solid for fantasy, somehow still managing to put up 20 points. And as long as Leonard Fournette is out of the lineup, they will be continuing to throw the ball a ton. And Leonard Fournette is already ruled out for Week 6, so the run game is going to continue to run through TJ Yeldon. And some breaking news from today, the Jaguars signed veteran running back, four-time Pro Bowler Jamal Charles, 
This is definitely not promising for the future outlook of Leonard Fournette. It definitely raises some concern as to when he will be healthier, what the severity of his injuries are. However, I do think that this is more of a depth signing. And TJ Yeldon, who saw 10 carries for 10 targets this past week, Corey Grant, he's now done for the season. That definitely factored into the signing of Jamal Charles. But... As of now, we don't know how long Charles is going to take to get acclimated to that offense, and Yeldon is the only viable option out of that backfield, so he's going to have to be utilized on just about every down and should be a borderline running back one or in that conversation going forward until Fournette returns or until we see it from Jamal Charles. And I will say about Leonard Fournette, the Jaguars, they do have a buy in week nine. So I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibilities that Fournette doesn't return until week 10. They give him those few extra weeks. He sits out the buy and then comes back for the latter part of the season to be a focal point of that offense. And as far as the passing game for Jacksonville, honestly, we know Blake Bortles is super inconsistent and we don't really trust him week in and week out. On a week that he had 60 attempts, he still only hit just over 50% with 33 completions. Yeah, he threw for 430 yards, but one touchdown, four interceptions. This guy's not going to cut it in the passing game. And then as far as the receivers are concerned, he had six different wide receivers have over 50 yards receiving. Yeah, I mean, I think this team honestly was all built for Leonard Fournette. So w without Leonard Fournette, this is not this is not a good fantasy outlook for many of the players on the Jaguars. The receivers are likely to struggle. Um, they teams have been stacking the box against the Jaguars because of Leonard Fournette, and without him, they'll be able to drop back in coverage. They'll take the wide receivers out if they have to. And I wouldn't really look at any of these guys in fantasy. Yeah, for anyone that's going to overreact to Dante Moncrief seeing 15 targets this past week, I would definitely pump the brakes on that. Keelan Cole also saw 10 targets this week, and D.D. Westbrook saw five targets. But last week, it was Moncrief who saw five targets, Keelan Cole saw three targets, and D.D. Westbrook saw 13 targets. So they literally flip-flopped from week four to week five. You don't know who it's going to be week in and week out. You don't feel great about starting these guys. You know one of them is probably going to be productive for fantasy, but it's a lottery every single week. And as far as the Chiefs side of the ball goes, we're not going to go. We're not even going to go into this. You can basically trust every player on the Chiefs' offense, especially next week against the New England Patriots. Yeah, definitely agreed. Not much to talk about with the Chiefs, so we'll roll right into the unfortunate loss for my Atlanta Falcons to the Pittsburgh Steelers, falling 41 to 17. And the offense was just out of sync. They really could not move the ball very well with a receiving core like Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Mohamed Sanu. You had Austin Hooper lead the pack with nine receptions for 77 yards. So really just very underwhelming for the Atlanta Falcons. And Devonta Freeman in his return, eight carries, 32 yards. It seemed that towards the end of the game when they were getting blown out, they took out Matt Ryan for a foot injury. They took out Devonta Freeman. They were giving Edo Smith some carries. It just seemed that as the game got worse for them, they didn't really like push to try to make an attempt to get back in it. They kind of like tried to preserve the guys that they have left, being that they have so many injuries already. And I don't want to cut you off here, but I know you just brought up Ito Smith, and that's a question I had for you specifically. In this game, Freeman's return, he saw eight carries. Coleman saw t seven carries, and Ito Smith got three carries, including the goal line touchdown. Are you concerned at all that this is turning into a little bit of a committee here, or... Do you think it's just because they're easing Freeman back into the workload? Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm really not too concerned with, especially the usage of Ido Smith. Smith is a good running back, and and the Atlanta Falcons over the past couple of years have had, and most people don't know this, three good running backs. They had Teron Ward, who was their third running back, who when he stepped in, he filled in great, and he always got one or two or three carries a game. It's just the way the Atlanta Falcons have always done done it. They cycle in their their backs. They like to have fresh legs as often as possible. So I, I wouldn't be too concerned. I do think as the season progresses, you know, Devonta Freeman, as he gets more healthy and Tevin Coleman, just they're going to be equally as involved, the two of them this year, but you can really use either one of them. Year in and year out, Tevin, Devonta Freeman is usually significantly better than Tevin Coleman. I don't know that you're going to see that this year. I think their usage is going to be pretty similar as opposed to the past few years where Freeman's been the clear cut back in that backfield. And that's definitely something that you've been calling for for a while for Tevin Coleman's involvement in that run game. Moving on to the Falcons passing game, Calvin Ridley, four receptions for 38 yards. I always say that touchdown regression to the mean is impossible to avoid. And the guy had six touchdowns on 15 targets throughout the early part of the season. I still think he's the wide receiver three on that team, despite the immense 
upside that he provides for your lineup. But Mohamed Sanu is the guy that I really want to talk about here. He's truly been overshadowed by the emergence of Calvin Ridley, but he has 14 receptions for 220 yards, three touchdowns on 23 targets over the last three weeks. I think that you're going to want to start any piece of this offense that you can moving forward, especially this coming week against the Buccaneers at home. I think there's going to be an awesome matchup for the Falcons offense. I think Mohamed Sanu is a completely underrated receiver, and I love him going into this week. Even Austin Hooper, I think, could be a nice streaming option at the tight end position. He had 12 targets, 9 receptions, 77 yards. I know that that involvement isn't always there, but compared to other tight ends in the league, Hooper has been very involved. His only issue, and why I wouldn't want to trust him week in and week out, is because he's at best the fourth option on that team behind Julio, behind Sanu, behind Ridley, and now with Freeman back and you have Coleman all getting worked into the passing game. But, you know, the Falcons, they're going to keep throwing the ball a ton. Their defense is continuing to struggle. So I think Hooper, for the type of involvement that you can project him to get, Again, you could do, I think I'm saying this every week, you could do a lot worse at the tight end position than someone that is getting the type of opportunity that this guy is getting. No doubt. And then we'll move right on to the Pittsburgh side of the ball. It was nice to see Antonio Brown finally have an Antonio Brown type day. Six receptions, 101 yards, and two touchdowns. One of which being a 47-yard touchdown, so a deep touchdown. That Wi-Fi connection. Yeah, finally getting hooked Business up. Business is booming. <laughs> someone reset the router. To me, the real standout is, and I've been saying this, that you know, in week one when Connor got that top-level opportunity, he produced as a top-level back, and everybody wanted to ride him and say he's not Le'Veon Bell, he's not Le'Veon Bell. But I've been saying that if he got that amount of opportunity, that he could be way more productive. And lo and behold, this week, obviously against a great matchup with the Atlanta Falcons, it's tough for me to say that, but realistically, that's over the past few years. They have led up the most receptions to running backs out of any team in the NFL in the past three years consecutively. So they are just a good matchup for your running back. And Connor proved it, 21 carries, 110 yards, two touchdowns with a 5.2 yards per carry average, and four receptions for 75 yards. He was just heavily involved, heavily productive. And if you give him this kind of opportunity, he could be just as good as any back in the NFL because they have a stellar offensive line, because they have an awesome passing game. You can't stack the box on them. He's set up for success. So, you know, obviously Le'Veon Bell is returning during the bye week, so supposedly, and then he'll be back that following week. And I don't think Tomlin is upset with him or anything like that because he is just trying to do what's best for him. We've seen with the Earl Thomas situation that it seems like Bell is actually making the right decision. And, uh, yeah, so it sucks that he's going to be reduced to probably a backup. Maybe he'll get a couple of touches in the game. I yeah. think he's warranted a couple of touches. Well, we've seen it in the past. D'Angelo Williams, 2015, he was an awesome running back. As soon as Le'Veon Bell come back, came back, Williams was on the bench. So I think the best case scenario, once Bell does come back, is 10 to 12 touches. If I'm being generous, I think. Super generous for, there. You're yeah, for right, James yeah. Conner. So. Yeah. I think now is the time to trade him, if, especially if you have him on your roster and there's somebody in your league that needs a win to keep themselves competitive going forward. Maybe package James Conner with a bench piece. I would personally try and target a solid week-in and week-out wide receiver like Jarvis Landry, maybe Cooper Cup if someone's concerned about his injury. Try and package James Conner with somebody else, get one of those top-end options at the wide receiver position. Yeah, honestly, in my opinion, you're actually a little late at this point. I think the Everybody knows that Bell is returning, so you're a little late. And in that situation, the guy that I think you got to be targeting is the Le'Veon Bell owner in your league. Hopefully they're 0-4 or 1-4, 0-5. But don't even shoot for that. Target him as, you know, you don't know what's going to happen with Le'Veon Bell. He is not in football shape. What if he does come back and has some kind of injury to, you know, reduce his availability and he misses a couple of games? Obviously, any time that Connor is the lone back in that backfield, he should be started so the only real value is, I think, pushing him to the Le'Veon Bell owner in your league. Now to move on to our next game of the week, we have the Denver Broncos going to play the New York Jets and falling 34-16. to On the Broncos' side of the ball, 
Demarius Thomas had a nice day, five receptions for 105 yards, one touchdown. I would still like to see him be a little bit more involved before you can trust him in your lineup. If you could sell him high after this performance, I truly don't think that you would be able to, but I would love to do that. The Broncos were getting blown out, and he still only saw six targets. Emmanuel Sanders clearly remains the number one passing option on this team, and the run game continued to be what it's been. Royce Freeman got just five carries, which is ridiculous in my opinion. He's now had eight or fewer carries in three games this season, while Philip Lindsay has gotten 12 or more carries in every game that he hasn't been ejected in. Lindsay continues to be the guy that you would want to start here, while Freeman remains a touchdown-dependent flex option for the time being, and it breaks my heart, but it's whatever. I'm over it at this point. Well, he really hasn't been too great, really. Like, he hasn't been that productive. Like, if you look at the five carries for 31 yards, if you look at that stat line, it sounds great. Because it sounds like six yards per carry. But guess what? When you have a 24-long carry, that means you took four carries for six yards. So that's not getting it done the majority of the time. And if you're getting a 24-yard carry, more than likely that's the blocking that you were given, not something that you created on your own. So realistically, to me, he hasn't been cutting it. Lindsey has been the better option. And in my opinion, he'll continue to be. So we'll move right on to the Jets. We talk about the Jets all the time, and we say with a rookie quarterback, you're going to have up and down weeks. Well, this was an up week for the Jets, especially at home with a West Coast team traveling to play a 1 o'clock game. is always difficult, and they took advantage. Isaiah Crowell, the star of the show, 15 carries, 219 yards with a touchdown, and one of which was a 77-yard run. And even besides that 77-yard run, still super productive, you know, obviously 219 yards. Bilal Powell equally is involved, 20 carries, 99 yards. Obviously, getting out to a lead gave them the opportunity to have 35 carries in this game. That's definitely uh, something that would be a recipe for success for the New York Jets if they can continue to get that amount of production from the run game. And as for the passing game, it wasn't stellar, but the standout was Robbie Anderson. Three receptions, 123 yards, and two touchdowns. Now, this is why Robbie Anderson is going to be frustrating for the season because he was only on five targets. It's not like he's increased and he's like proving to be the number one wide receiver here. It's just that this is what he offers you. He can have these type of weeks because his long touchdown was 76 yards. He offers that type of play week in and week out. But that opportunity is also tough to give away because he really can win you your week with a 20, 25 point week on those two or three targets. But I know your point is, is it's not very likely that he continues at that rate, and I don't think I can argue that. So, 100%. Robbie Anderson is nothing more than a boomer bust lottery ticket at this point. He has not had more than three receptions in any game yet this season. I know this week he took him for 123 yards and two touchdowns. That's awesome, but that's not something I'm willing to rely on week in and week out. I said it in last week's episode that he was likely to have a good week against the Denver Broncos secondary, and if he did, and then you were able to trade him high on the value coming off of a hot week, then you should do that. I think this is as much an anomaly as Quincy Inunua's zero catches on five targets. I think Quincy Inunua's involvement in that offense is going to make it very difficult for Robbie Anderson to be productive going forward. And I think this is an outlier game for Inunua. I'm not too worried about him. I'm not going to be dropping him to the waiver wire or anything like that. I think Sam Darnold will continue to play the way that he has, and Inunua's been one of his favorite targets. As far as Isaiah Crowell, this is another guy that I would definitely try and sell high if possible. He carried the ball 15 times for 219 yards and one touchdown. But what a lot of people don't realize is the Broncos defense has been struggling against the run this season. They've given up a top 15 running back performance every week since week two this season. So I think this is a better matchup than a lot of people realized. And although Crowell did play well, I'm not going to take that away from him. I'm still not willing to trust him in my lineup every week with the type of involvement that we've been seeing from Bilal Powell. I think it's going to be one or the other week in and week out. And that's not something that I want to rely on. I got to disagree there, and I know I already touched on it, but dude, if you take away the one 77-yard touchdown run, that's still 14 carries, 150 yards. Well, no, I said he, I said I'm not going to downplay the great game that he had. He, he played well, but it was against a bad run defense. But he, if he if he can get that opportunity, that's the type of running back that he can be for that team, honestly. And, and going forward, I think that's just got to be the recipe for success. You saw in week one, Darnold right out the back, they treated him like an elite type of quarterback right out, out of the gate, and he threw 30, 40 times in the game, which is great that he put on that week, and it, but then we've seen that immediately stop paying off. 
I think this team has to get the run game going and really try to play that that type of football and let Darn- Darnold play complimentary. As good as he seems right off the bat, he is still a rookie, and you still got to bring him along a little bit slower. And these are the type of games that they're going to want to play when the opportunity is there. Yeah, I do think that it would be smart for the Jets to involve Crowell going forward. It just it seems like he's been literally alternating games week in and week out where he'll put up a dud fantasy performance and a great fantasy performance. And I don't want to try and predict that week in and week out. Yeah, that's well, my issue. But like we did we did notice, like just th- that's what this team is going to be. They're going to give you up and down weeks because of the rookie quarterback play, because of you know and, their situation. And not, and not only that, but Isaiah Crowell has also seen this before with Duke Johnson. Bilal Powell is kind of the Duke Johnson of his current setup, and that's why you know he's having those outputs. Yeah, I just think if the Jets do fall behind, Bilal Powell is going to be the prime beneficiary of that game script, and Isaiah Crowell could likely disappear. And we've seen it happen on the Browns, and now we've seen it happen on the Jets. But I think we can all agree that you can do worse at the running back position. Moving on to our next game of the week, we have the Oakland Raiders playing the LA Chargers. The Chargers came away with this one, 26-10. And Amari Cooper, I said this last week, if you're going to be playing him in your lineup, you need to accept the good with the bad if you're going to be rostering him. The good is 8 receptions, 120 yards, and 1 touchdown. And the bad is 1 catch on 1 target for 10 yards. I honestly think he's just a matchup-dependent play at this point. If he has a tough cornerback matchup, you probably shouldn't trust him in your lineup. He just completely disappears. I know he saw Casey Hayward this past week, but Hayward hasn't been lights out this season by any means. So, again, anytime Cooper has a mildly difficult matchup, I don't see how you could trust him going forward. Yeah, and it was in a week where... Derek Carr was good. He was very efficient, um, completing 24 of 33 passing attempts for 268 yards. He did have one interception, but overall, that was, that's a good that's a good outing. He was very accurate. But this Oakland offense and this Oakland team is just out of sync at 1-4, only putting up 10 points this week against a divisional matchup where you really have to step up and get this win. So really disappointing, the Oakland offense, something they'll probably stay away from. And just like we talked about with Marshawn Lynch, as soon as those touchdowns stop coming for him, he's not going to be nearly as productive. And you saw that this week, nine carries for 31 yards, just not going to cut it for a guy that, you know, is supposed to be a top-tier back. Good thing I got rid of him. (laughs) Traded him to our offensive line specialist, Mike Bowe, in our league. And, uh, yeah, thank you for that, Bowe. Thank you for taking him off my my hands for me. Nice. There you go, Bo. And uh, Marshawn Lynch definitely had some flashbacks to Super Bowl 49. The Raiders were on the one-yard line. And instead of just handing it off to your ideal prototypical goal line running back, Derek Carr tried to throw it, and it got picked off by Melvin Ingram. So definitely some PTSD flashbacks there for Lynch. But my only takeaway from the Chargers side of the ball, that offense continues to be solid. And Austin Eckler, he should be added in all leagues. He's been a top 25 running back in four out of five weeks this season. His usage may be unsustainable, but he's been super efficient with the opportunity that he's been getting. So I know it's common for a lot of teams to be struggling at the running back position, looking for a weekend plug and play guy. And Austin Eckler can definitely be that in the right matchup. Moving on to our next game of the week, we have the Arizona Cardinals beating the San Francisco 49ers 28-18. to And David Johnson, I mean, the guy, I know there's been a lot of disappointment surrounding his name in the early part of the season, but he has 15 or more PPR points in four out of five games this season. And he had two touchdowns this past week, in large part, I will say, due to the Cardinals' defense forcing turnovers, creating short fields, and putting the offense in great situations. And I know that I've been saying over the last few weeks to try and trade him high And while I do think that he will be more than fine going forward, I'm still fine with shopping him around to see if I can capitalize on his current value after this big game. I think that if you could package DJ with one of your bench players and try to upgrade at the running back position to a guy like Melvin Gordon or even Ezekiel Elliott, if someone really believes in David Johnson, you can get that trade. I think that is an excellent move and something that you should at least try to go for. No, absolutely. Definitely think about moving on from David Johnson. No doubt about it. I do think with Josh Rosen at quarterback, there will be an uptick on the offensive side of the ball for the Arizona Cardinals. You know, they did, since he's come in, get their first win, and it looks like they're scoring at a higher rate. 
Right, and coming out of college, they were saying that Josh Rosen was the most uh, NFL-ready quarterback of the bunch. Of all the guys drafted, including Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold, they said Josh Rosen was the most prototypical and most NFL-ready at this time. So getting him in there, I think that can benefit the offense. Yeah, and as far as the passing game goes, I know that Christian Kirk had a nice day, but on the very first play of the game, he had a 75-yard touchdown reception. After that, he had just two catches for 10 yards for the rest of the game. He's still the third option behind Fitzgerald, behind Chad Williams. So he's just a bench play for now, but definitely worth keeping your eye on. And as far as Larry Fitzgerald goes, his fantasy finishes over the last four weeks, 81, 93, 78, 72. I cut him in one of my I cut him in one of my leagues this week. He's still I know Larry that, Legend. I know that sounds crazy to do, but I'm gonna let someone else deal with that headache. I'm gonna let someone else. I'm sure he'll be picked up today as soon as waivers process. But I'm gonna let someone else deal with that you, headache. You can normally do worse than a bench spot for a guy like him, though, right? Yeah, but I mean, the problem is, it's it's just like you said, like it's a headache because when you see that name on your roster, you think Larry Fitzgerald. I should be playing that player, and you're associating. You have to be able to temper your expectations for sure this year with Larry Fitzgerald. But, I mean, is he still not a guy that's worth rostering? Like I say, might be worth the roster, but like it's going to be difficult. You're really going to want to play him with that guy on your roster because you associate him with the legend that he is, but he's just not offering you that this season. If you're in a league with a deep bench, you hold on to Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah. But if you're in a league that, has, that only allows for four, five, six guys on your bench... I don't know if you need to hold on to him. There are other more valuable positions that you can try and plug and play guys, stream positions, especially with bye weeks, especially with injuries. I don't think Larry Fitzgerald is a must hold at this point in the season. But to move over to the San Francisco 49ers side of the ball, Matt Barreta, he's been dealing with injuries all season. He now has an ankle injury that caused him to leave the game. They're saying that it's a mid to high ankle sprain. I'm personally expecting him to be out for at least a week or two. And in my opinion, Morris... He's a must-add if he's available in your league. Alfred Morris had 18 carries and 5 targets in this past game. And I know this coming week, it's going to be tough for him to be involved against a Packers offense. The 49ers are likely going to be playing from behind. But he's still worth the add if he's going to be getting that type of involvement in that offense. There's not many running backs, especially ones that are on the waiver wire, that can provide that for your team. So you may not want to start in this week, but as a speculative add, in case Braid is forced to miss significant time, you're going to want Morris on your team. Oh, I totally agree. You know that I was very high on Jerry McKinnon coming into the season. And obviously the running back position has not really panned out the way they had hoped. But I stand by the fact that it's a running back friendly system. And I'll always quote that Kyle Shanahan has always led a top tier running game in the NFL with Devonta Freeman, Tevin Coleman, uh, Isaiah Crowell and Duke Johnson in Cleveland. Arian Foster with the Texans, Alfred Morris with the Redskins. He has just constantly produced at that position. Like I said, it's just friendly in his scheme and his system to the running back position. And Alfred Morris has thrived in the system before. He knows it very well. He's going to fill in very well, in my opinion, and definitely somebody that not only do I think you should be adding, but consider starting because there's going to be volume with the amount of injuries in that backfield. And he's a guy who knows the system and knows what he's doing. In a friendly system. So, yeah, it would definitely be very high on Alfred Morris. And in the passing game, the one and only guy that you really want, the tight end, George Kittle, Mr. Consistency as of right now, five receptions, 83 yards. Like we talk about the tight end being not so deep, very hard to predict, and very volatile. This is a guy who seems to be week in and week out getting targets, getting receptions, and getting a lot of yards, and even getting into the end zone, even though he didn't get into the end zone this week, he still has been very productive. So the guy to own for the San Francisco 49ers, George Kittle. But to move on to our next game of the week, we have the LA Rams beating the Seattle Seahawks 33-31. to And this was the least Russell Wilson-like shootout that I've probably ever seen. The Seahawks proved that they clearly want to run the ball, and the Rams could not stop Chris Carson, who rushed for over 100 yards, and Mike Davis, who went for 68 yards and a touchdown. And Russell Wilson had just 21 pass attempts in this game, which led to a really disappointing performance for Doug Baldwin, who had just one target, one reception for one yard. And although he was on the field for almost every passing play, you definitely like to see that, that really doesn't mean much when the passing volume is so low. So I think it'll be difficult to trust him as more than a wide receiver three going forward if that doesn't change. Meanwhile, Tyler Lockett, 
He's on pace for over 1,000 yards and has scored a touchdown in every game but one this season. I personally assume that Baldwin coming back would dramatically factor in to his value going forward, but we haven't seen it yet, so I think you can continue to trust Lockett going forward until we see Baldwin's involvement see an uptick. Yeah, for the Seahawks, to me, you know, Russell Wilson, obviously not a typical day for him, but very good, you know, ended up with 132.5 rating, 13 complete completions on 21 targets and three touchdowns on on 198 yards is pretty good the guy that I would keep an eye on and I know it was his first game that you really heard of him or he really showed out but there's been talks about this guy coming into the season number 83 David Moore he had three receptions um for 38 yards and two touchdowns and the reason why I say that this might be more than just a fluky situation is because around the team, they have been hyping this guy up. He's somebody who is constantly recognized for doing the right things on the practice field, going hard, making the most of his opportunities. And they moved him up the depth chart above Brandon Marshall. So it just tells me that, you know, they are expecting a little bit more out of him, maybe expecting him to get him a little bit more involved. And He's a bigger body wide receiver. He can get it done in the red zone, which is something they might need because Baldwin's not a huge target, and either not neither is Lockett. And they lost Jimmy Graham at the tight end position, so just something that they might be needing. And it seems like this is the guy they might be turning to now. Not something that I would really look at going to pick up right away or or anything like that, but just somebody to keep an eye on because he might be trending in the right direction for the Seahawks. And on the other side of the ball, for the Rams, obviously, everything continues to flow. You don't really have to talk much about it. I mean, they did sustain injuries with Cooper Cup and Cooks, so you're going to have to monitor that Monitor that going forward. I do think it means a little bit of an uptick for Robert Woods. Yeah, the Rams offense continues to be awesome. I will say this was a bit of a disappointing day for Jared Goff. He threw just one touchdown and two interceptions compared to last week's performance where he had five touchdowns against Minnesota. But he's still been a top 15 quarterback every week this season, and he's been top 12 in each of the previous three games before this past week. He's been solid, and this might seem like a bold take, but I honestly would prefer at this point Jared Goff over Russell Wilson going forward. And it's not that Russell Wilson hasn't been doing Russell Wilson things. Russell Wilson has looked great as an NFL quarterback. But for fantasy purposes, Jared Goff has just been more productive. The rushing totals haven't been there for Russell Wilson. That's been a solid baseline for him. And this is a weird week. We know the Seahawks and the Rams, they always play tough against each other. So Russell Wilson definitely hasn't returned on the value where a lot of people drafted him. And I'm hoping that turns around at some point in the season he usually does start slow but continuing with the Rams side of the ball you mentioned the concussions for Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup and the potential uptick for Robert Woods but I'm not really sure how beneficial that will be to Robert Woods I think that defenses will now be able to key on him a little bit more and he will see an increase in targets but I think he'll be seeing tougher coverage as well and I'm not sure if that will translate to improved Fantasy numbers, I guess, is the best way to put it. Our next game is the NFC Championship rematch between the Vikings and the Eagles. This time, the Vikings coming out on top, 23-21. Kirk Cousins continues to look very good. 30 of 37, 301 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Supporting, obviously, Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs, who continue to dominate in the NFL. Thielen has had five straight weeks of 100 yards. He is the first First wide receiver in the history of the NFL to produce that mark. So congratulations to Thielen. And obviously you're relying on both of these guys week in and week out. The only disappointing thing is Dalvin Cook has been bad when he's available. And he hasn't been available too often for the Minnesota Vikings. And Latavius Murray hasn't really stepped up in his absence. So Yeah, Latavius Murray has yet to rush for more than 42 yards or score a touchdown this season. But as you said, the passing game for the Minnesota Vikings has been the bright spot, and that's going to continue. The Vikings are struggling to run the ball, and even when Cooks gets back, their offensive line is terrible, and their defense just hasn't been what we thought it would be going into the season. So Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, you're going to continue to fire them up. On the Eagles side of the ball, the big storyline here is the Jay Ajayi injury. He is done for the season. And while I still prefer Corey Clement as the better long-term option, he's missed the last two weeks with a quad injury, so we really aren't sure when he'll be fully healthy and ready to produce for your fantasy teams. 
but he did practice in full on Monday, so his status is definitely one to monitor as the week progresses. But for the time being, I think that Wendell Smallwood is the best bet to make an immediate impact on your fantasy roster. He's currently averaging six yards per carry. He has 10 receptions for 96 yards and a touchdown on the season. And I think that he'll provide running back two numbers until Corey Clement and Darren Sproles return to the lineup and are fully healthy. I think at that point, Clement is going to be the guy that you want. As far as the Eagles passing game goes, there's not too many options that I would really like to trust here. Nelson Aguilar has been disappointing over the last few weeks, but of course, Zach Ertz, he remains awesome. He does it every week. And Alshon Jeffrey had a tough matchup this week against Xavier Rhodes, but I'm not worried about him going forward. He's still been passing the eye test. He looks good on the field. He's creating separation. The opportunity wasn't fully there this week, but I think if you have Alshon Jeffrey on your team, if you've waited this long, you got the performance last week, and you're going to continue to start him going forward. Yeah, and my takeaway for the Philadelphia Eagles was, honestly, I talked about last week that as a Carson Wentz owner that I might be benching Carson Wentz, waiting for him to kind of break out, and I actually did end up starting him over Andy Dalton. I made the right decision, but it was just a reminder to me and to everybody else to not try and be too cute, not to be, you know, overthinking things. Carson Wentz is a top-tier quarterback in the NFL, and he looked great. 24 of 35, 311 yards, two touchdowns. Just a reminder, he might not be MVP form as he was last season, but he is still a top quarterback in the NFL, and he should be a week-in and week-out starter for your fantasy team. Don't try to overthink that situation. On to the Battle of Texas, the Sunday night primetime game. The Dallas Cowboys against the Houston Texans. Dallas falling 16-19 in a very close game. On the Dallas side of the ball, a very underwhelming stat line for Ezekiel Elliott. 20 carries, 54 yards. This offense just continues to struggle. They are really missing Travis Frederick and some of those key pieces on the offensive line that are no longer with them. And it's really showing. You know, Dak Prescott is not hasn't been much better. 18 completions on 29 attempts, 208 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. So just this offense is really struggling. And even Zeke is really hurting because of it. Now Zeke is going to have weeks that, you know, he's a number one back because he is that good. He will create on his own. This offense is not anything it used to be. All the hype around Alan Hearns or Michael Gallup that was coming into the season. You want to stay away from this passing attack. Unfortunately, if you draft a Zeke, you can't not play him. But it's really not a good situation for that offense right now. They're not really giving you the production that you're looking for. Yeah, you're going to keep firing up Ezekiel Elliott. He's been solid throughout this point of the season. What I will say, though, is we saw him get whacked on that one play, I think in the fourth quarter it was, and that's going to happen when you're playing such a high volume of work at the running back position. This entire team literally flows through Ezekiel Elliott, and I'm not projecting injury for Elliott, but I will say that if you do have him on your fantasy roster, Rod Smith is 100% worth a waiver ad as we're getting to the later parts of the season. If anything were to happen to Elliott, you're going to need someone to fill in, and Rod Smith is the guy that's going to step into that opportunity. So I think he is 100% worth the roster ad. The only thing I want to say about this game, questionable call by Jason Garrett uh, in overtime. Dak Prescott, fourth and one in midfield, approaching their territory. I think he could have gotten this one and uh, potentially went forward, gotten the field goal, gotten points out of that, and won the game. Questionable call by Jason Garrett. And now moving over to the Texans' side of the ball, Deshaun Watson, he's looked pretty solid so far this season. He hasn't really returned on where a lot of people may have drafted him at, but he's been more than serviceable for the quarterback position. My only issue with him is that he's taking so many hits behind that Texans offensive line, so I definitely have some concern there. As far as the run game goes, Alfred Blue looked pretty solid filling in for Lamar Miller. He had 20 carries and 8 targets, and although his talent doesn't blow you away, if he's going to continue to get that type of opportunity, if Lamar Miller is forced to miss any extended periods of time. I think Alfred Blue is definitely worth the waiver ad and he could be in line for some running back two production even behind that porous offensive line at least for the time being. I do think that when Deonta Foreman returns he has every opportunity in the world to take over that backfield. So I think that if he is available on your waiver wire he's definitely worth the ad worth the stash just to see what happens. 
As far as the Texans' passing game goes, my only takeaway here is Kiki Kuti. He had six receptions for 51 yards and a touchdown. Again, if he's available on your waiver wire, you should definitely add him. He's still the third option behind DeAndre Hopkins, behind Will Fuller, but he should be in weekly flex consideration at this point. He still had seven targets this past week with Will Fuller in the game. That was the big thing for me. In week four, we saw him very involved. That was with Will Fuller missing the majority of the game. He continued to do it this week. And I think that he'll continue to be involved. He plays very well in that short possession-style receiver role, while Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins, they're more that mid- to long-distance field-stretching type of play for that offense. So I think Kiki Kuti, he, even though he's the third option on that team, should be in line for some decent production going forward, especially if Deshaun Watson continues to air it out 35-plus times a game. And now moving on to our final game of the week, we have the New Orleans Saints beating the Washington Redskins 43-19. to And I'm going to start this off with Drew Brees. He became the NFL's all-time leading passer on a huge touchdown pass to Traquan Smith. And through the first five weeks of the season, Drew Brees is averaging just 1.2 points per game, less than Patrick Mahomes. So he's been as good as it gets at the quarterback position. And as far as the running backs go in the New Orleans backfield, Mark Ingram, I know he saw more snaps, more rushes, more goal line carries than Alvin Kamara. Ingram was involved in the passing game, and I was honestly surprised to see how involved he was right away. But it makes sense to me, in my opinion. They've been literally running Kamara into the ground over the last few weeks. So with Mark Ingram coming back to the lineup with a fresh set of legs, it made perfect sense for me that they would want to give Kamara a little bit of a break this week against the Redskins. So if you have Kamara on your team, if you're worried at all about his involvement going forward, I would not be worried at all. I would agree a little bit. I do think it was kind of a uh, balancing of of the scale, so to speak. It was kind of trying to, like you said give the rushing attempts to the guy who, you know, has the fresh legs and, you know, they've been running Alvin Kamara into the ground. And also the game flow kind of favored that, right? Like it kind of favored Mark Ingram. But don't forget, last year when you did have both of them, Mark Ingram did dominate the rushing attempts. He did dominate the snap share. He did dominate the goal line work. Alvin Kamara was really being used as that pass catching back. I wouldn't be surprised if they're resulting to the same dynamic. And I did say that in the preseason that I had some concerns that that was an extreme amount of production for the opportunity he was he was getting. I just didn't know if that would continue. And obviously in the first few weeks when Mark Ingram wasn't there, yeah, they were taking advantage of that. But I don't think that dynamic is really going to change too much going forward. I do think Mark Ingram is going to end up taking the majority of the goal line work, short yardage situation, and the bulk of the carries in general, just because he is a dynamic running back. Well, last season, Alvin Kamara was averaging about seven and a half rushing attempts per game. This season, without Mark Ingram in the lineup, he's been averaging 14 carries per game. So I definitely think the Saints would want to have that return to the mean a little bit. And when you have such a capable running back like Mark Ingram, why wouldn't you? Yeah, I think with with the Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara situation, one important note is that Mark Ingram is a veteran with a big contract. Kamara is still a later round pick on his rookie deal, and getting him less reps now could pay off better for them in the future. I think they're going to ride Mark Ingram while he is the veteran and making the bulk of the money in that backfield. So that's another important note. you got to look out for that. Not to mention, in my opinion, Mark Ingram's skill set does play to that get him involved and get him into the game flow type of situation. He's a guy that kind of needs more of those opportunities, upwards of 15 to 20 carries a game to kind of get involved in the game flow. Like even even in a game that seemed pretty good for him because of the two touchdown, 16 carries for 53 yards, 3.3 yards per carry average is not stellar. It's not anything too impressive. His longest carry was only for nine yards. So he didn't blow you away as far as, you know, he was super productive and lights out. Again, I just think the opportunity for him is going to be there a little bit more so than I think people are expecting because I do think a lot of people like you, Mike, are expecting Kamara to you know, be week in and week out the same thing that he was. And I just don't know that that's going to happen. I'm not saying that it's not because I do agree with how good he, he has been. How you get away from him, I don't understand. But Sean Payton, you know, he's the guy who they're winning by 20 points last night and he's going for it in the fourth quarter around the 50-yard line. Like, this guy just does things that, you know, you're not expecting, and that that's a Sean Payton move. Ride, you know, the veteran that he 
tends to like Mark Ingram. And the only other guy that I would recommend keeping your eye on on this offense is Cameron Meredith. He continues to trend up over the last two weeks. He had three receptions in week four, five receptions for 71 yards in week five. And he just seems to be a nice safety blanket for Drew Brees to rely on. So I'm not saying he's a must start at this point or anything close to that, but definitely someone to keep your eye on. If you have a deep bench, I would recommend adding him now. He's someone that I was high on in the preseason and I could see his workload increasing as the season progresses. But to move over to the Washington Redskins side of the ball, this was just an ugly game for that offense. And one injury to note, Adrian Peterson, he separated his shoulder. Reports are currently positive that he'll be fine to play this week. But he's still a running back that needs the volume to be productive. But he is a fringe running back too, as long as he's healthy. So not many concerns with him going forward. But as far as this wide receiver core... I honestly thought they were value picks during the draft season, and at this point of the season, outside of Jamison Crowder, who I'm still not willing to start, I don't think any of these guys are worth holding onto on your roster. I think they're just burning roster spots, and even Jordan Reed has been disappointing over the last few weeks, but the bright side there is you really didn't pay high draft capital for him, so... Or shouldn't have. If you did, there's a mistake. So really not much to talk about with the Redskins. Like my co-host said, a pretty ugly game on the offensive side of the ball for a team that has been pretty good so far this season. Now, they have been doing very well with run defense and playing some complimentary football, but definitely a down week for this team. That being said, trust me, going to New Orleans in a primetime game is not an easy trip. So by all means, it's not. I didn't expect the Redskins to win this game. I just thought they would be a little bit better than they were. But a lot of motivation. You know, it just seemed to be that kind of day. Drew Brees needed 200 passing yards to hit that record, and he did it in the first half. You know, it just, the Saints, you know, they knew he, they, they were getting him that record that night. They just knew that they were, you know, coming out to play at home Monday night. I just think, you know, the Redskins happen to be in their, you know, in their path, so to speak. And that's all we have for our Week 5 NFL wrap-up. We have a couple of announcements before we sign off today, but before we do that, I'm going to send it over to Chris, who has something he wants to say before we close out. Yeah, before we conclude, guys, I just want to thank Mike and Dan both personally. Thank you for having me on the podcast today. I really do appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I also appreciate them letting me uh, write for the College Football Corner on the website, Uh, so definitely go check that out, guys. This week, we're actually going to be checking out. We got a couple good games. Georgia will be facing off against LSU, number two versus number 13 in the country, a good SEC matchup. Uh, we also have Wisconsin and Michigan, number 15 and number 12. So we'll be talking some good college football. Go check out the page. And thank you, Chris. We definitely, we definitely appreciate it. I know our listeners and our followers really do appreciate the mix-up you know I know we do a lot of NFL but we are just fans of football here at Football MD so to switch it up and bring the college football knowledge we we really appreciate it doing great work remember guys go check it out footballmdpodcast.com college football corner everything you need to know about you know the upcoming week in college football thank you thank you guys Yeah, thank you again, Chris. You've really been doing great work over there. And I just want to mention one more time that today we will be releasing our first ever Football MD Podcast t-shirts. They are special edition breast cancer awareness. We have very limited quantities and the proceeds will be going to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. So make sure that you guys are hitting us up at Football MD Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or heading over to footballmdpodcast.com, heading over to the Contact Us section and sending us an email with your order. As always, we appreciate all of the support that we've been getting from you guys. It really does mean so much to us. And if you haven't already done so, please leave a quick five-star review on whichever podcast streaming platform that you may be listening to us on. It really does mean so much to us. And be on the lookout for our next episode dropping either on Friday or Saturday morning to get you primed for all of the week six matchups that you'll need your information on to dominate your matchups this week. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great day.